Okay, last call. Order now before I turn on the lights and you really see what's going on with your sales. Yes. Turn on the lights. The lights are big and bright tonight. They bright. Philly! Go ahead. Get it up. Philly! Get, yeah, give it to him. Last give week him. it was Go Dogs. Give him the stage. This week is Fly Eagles Fly. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Todd, for the for the soundboard give him and the, the slaps. Stage. Appreciate y'all. Another week of this shit. Yeah, you're going to see me all week on my gram. It's going to be all bleed green. Dude, Philly is in the NFC dude, Championship can I game. I say that the way that you were talking about that game, <laughs> I didn't watch it till like later that night. And the way that you were talking about it didn't fit the narrative of how that game actually No, it was went. trash. It was a really <laughs> was, bad football game. It was not. <laughs> Had it not been for Matty Ice. It was his, not. And Julio Jones. It was a really gracious win. Up. Yeah, you guys got lucky. It was a gracious win. Our defense stepped up. Uh, Nick Foles made zero mistakes. Kept the ball safe. The first the first eagle to throw over 70, 70% of his passes being complete. In a playoff game. In a playoff game. In the you, they were all over Cincinnati Bengals fan, and you, Jets fan, should shut the fuck up <laughs> because you don't know what it feels right. like. Wow. You got too much moment. liberty. You got too wow. much liberty right now. <laughs> so I just want to give a shout out to my Eagles. That's it. Get it all out now. All right. So Happy yeah, now that he's got that out of his system, it was going to come sooner or later. Pause. But we how, how far do you think this is going to get you guys? We're in the NFC Championship game, but I'm at home, saying, farther than the Bengals and the Jets. Squeak. Exactly, that's Squeak. all that matters. I get to watch my team in the NFC Championship game. What are you doing? Hey this Sam, weekend? hey, you remain neutral. What are you doing sure. this weekend, <laughs> Chuck? You are a guest. <laughs> all right, so uh, how you doing? My name is Ken. I'm Nick, and I'm Dan. And you listen to the Last Call podcast. Um, so yeah, Nick had to get that out of his system. Um, now now that we've super. Or surpass that. Um, we have a special guest in the building. Yes, ahead, yes, bro. yes. Nick, you'd like to introduce the guest? Go yeah, ahead. yeah. My boy Sam over here to the left of me. I've uh, known Sam for a few years now. Sam is one of the coolest white dudes I know in New York hey. for a few reasons. Talk to him. Um, Just in New York? All right, I'll give it to you. <laughs> he's one of the coolest white dudes I know in the U.S. Okay, there we go. Because he, he, he's nationwide. I mean, the dude's been on on a few different... Let, let him know about yourself, Sam. He's been on a few different TV channels. He's an activist, motivational speaker. Noop, go ahead, man. Yeah, so uh, my name's Sam Whiteout. Uh, I'm from Jersey, but I live in New York now. I, th- I appreciate the, the sound effects. Yeah, 2018, bro. We stepping this shit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I live in Harlem now, which is where we're recording, which is dope. Um, but yeah, man, uh, I am a brother of Cap Alpha Psi Fraternity Incorporated. I crossed down in Philly. And as Nick said, I've been incredibly blessed and humbled to be able to work with some really dope people, some dope companies. So whether it's Huffington Post or BET or MTV, Mark Lamont Hill, DeRay McKesson, Brittany Packnett, some of the dopest activists, thinkers, writers, poets in the country. For sure. And uh, I'm just trying to do my part, you know? Definitely. Oh, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for um, having me. Yeah, we, this has been a, a work in progress. We tried to get you towards the end of last year, and then last year got a little bit crazy with our schedules and then the holiday schedule. So, so we're starting 2018 off right. That's the way to go. Now, at as, as as you can see, Sam has a, a, a delicious single malt scotch in his hand. Um, yeah, the man. hospitality here is is bar none. Hey man, we try to make everybody feel at home in the bar room. You mean uh, we try to make everybody feel comfortable because we're gonna be talking about some shit in here. So what better way to help us talk about some shit than get some liquor flowing? Now, I mean, unfortunately, if you, from last week that everybody has listened to, um, <laughs> we're kind of taking a little hiatus. Cause, yeah, because because we went a little crazy. Okay, so um, I'll lie and say that I'll drink enough for all of y'all. Oh, perfect, <laughs> <laughs> perfect. Um, but no, um, so Sam uh, sipping on a single malt scotch um, uh, name. Chura and uh, uh, well, tell us what do you think about it? Oh, you know, it's it's got this delicious little spice to it at the end, okay, and um, it's great. Cool. I really I don't have much more than it's fantastic and exactly what I need on this it's bitter the, cold Harlem day. 
uh, perfect for a day like this because it was it's actually pretty cold outside. It seemed like uh, it's the brick as fuck. The, the weather's playing games with us because I mean the, the past two weeks prior it was literally brick as fuck for an extended period of time, and then we came up out of it. Um, whereas all the snow that was out just seemingly melted over a period of a day. It's gone. And um, but now the weather has come back down uh, to reality, and allegedly it might snow tomorrow. Um, yeah, climate change sucks. Um, but so here we are. We're on. We're, we're in Martin, on Martin Luther King Day in Harlem, or at least we're recording. By the time everybody hears it, it'll probably be like the nineteenth or whatever. But um, so. Uh, Nick, I'm going to give some props to Nick because, um, as I was telling Sam earlier, so me and Nick are family, right? Um, I don't know if I've had a more prouder moment than watching Nick today speak at uh, uh, Martin Luther King Day um, in front of a crowd of c- close to about th- 300. That was a crowded people. room, man. I saw that. It, it was a pretty big room. And, and Nick delivered a keynote speak, uh, the keynote speech. Speech. And, uh, by f- and uh, granted, he wasn't the only person to speak. By far the most effective speaker in the room and definitely had the room in the palm of his hands for a good 20 to 30 minutes right was i really speaking that way? it was pretty long oh. i was like i was after a while because i i didn't was gonna ask you before he went up on stage how long is your speech but i was like you know what i i knew you said that you didn't even write it so it was just going off a, a wing and a cuff <laughs> wait yeah. you freestyled the whole thing yeah i freestyled the whole speech had the room the in the palm <laughs> of his hands top. and i'm like damn this boy is really this is like it's like uh, uh, watching that moment watch because i was there when nick was born so now i'm like seeing him to grow into damn, the man that flex he's on today. Him a little bit too he was yeah. like he got hit with the bronze like, when you was a fetus <laughs> motherfucker <laughs> but no nah, it, it, it was dope man it was a, it was a dope feeling um the african-american men of westchester invited me to give a keynote speech over at the double trio in uh, Tarrytown for the Youth Legacy Awards and I was thinking about writing a speech but I was like that's that's not me like I'm not I'm not a speech writer I give motivational speeches but I like to speak to the people um, through my experiences right in front so I just got up there and I pretty much just flowed with the crowd um, I started it off with a little um, humor and then we just went into like deep uh experiences of my own from growing up with a single parent single mother in a one-bedroom apartment when i was young um to being disappointed when i gave some ideas to my previous employer employer fox sports they turned my barbershop idea into a tv show without crediting me to um going through yeah um (laughs) but it happens man It's, it's part of the business and that's what i was trying to get across to the young people like you're gonna go through a lot of defeats but the key is just not to be defeated mm. um you know been part of layoffs all types of shit right there uh, <laughs> but yeah man it was a great speech a lot of people said that they got a lot out of it um so happy you were able to make it and uh i'm gonna have that speech edited by my boy sage over here sage over here in a cut who, uh mm. shout out to sage the racer he's one of the best directors and filmmakers in new york be on the lookout, lookout for his stuff but he's gonna edit it down and i'm gonna have that available for you guys so be on the lookout for that yeah. Yeah, man. I remember when we were talking about that, uh, the um, the uh, barbershop idea, because I had so I remember being engaged with you when we were talking about this. And then I go on Fox Sports online. And I see like Snoop Dogg in a chair yeah. or CC Sabathia in a chair. Yeah. And I send Nick the link. I was like, do you have anything to do with this in the Bronx? Yeah. too? Like I pitched the show to be in the Bronx because I'm working out in L.A. at the time. And. They told me, they're like, yeah, it's not going to be a good time to shoot it. Uh, You're not that experienced, but we'll come back to it. And without telling me anything, they created the show, filmed a pilot in the Bronx. Wow, that is wild fucked up. Yeah. It happens, but um, hey, you gotta drop that bomb when you like and accept an award, and you like look over at the Fox Sport table and just be like, uh, hit the bomb, hit the bomb. 
<laughs> exactly. I mean, I'm not this even. I'm not you. bitter though. Like it all happens for a reason. Uh, I went on to you know do dope things after that. Um, so and they lost an ideas, man. So yeah, lost more and the show only lasted idea. for three episodes. So ah. they, ain't, <laughs> they ain't have the right uh, creative, yeah, yeah, man. Uh, production behind it. It's one thing for somebody to take from you, but you know what the original, where the source is, you know. So the source will never go dry because it's you, and you know how to push yourself and continue to make more. They'll never know how to make the shit. So right, it's all good. Facts. Jokes on you, buddy. Um. So so uh. On another note, though, Sam, what you know, what what's your week looking? Like? I know you're a busy dude. I don't even know what you've been up to lately. MLK Day, you probably were extremely busy making your rounds, doing a few different things. So I tend to lay low on Martin Luther King Day. Uh, I think ninety percent of what I do is figuring out when I need to stay out the way. Right? Do you date white women, Sam? We need to know. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> I'm just gonna throw it out there. Wow. The wild subtle transition. Right or, there. or what is your white girl to black girl percentage? What's, What's your white ratio? girl to black girl percentage? Because the people I, are asking. Last five girls. How many black? How many white? I date beautiful women. Uh, there you go. Beautiful that black is, women. That is the politically <laughs> correct. That's a, yeah. Give that man a high five. That's a. Beautiful, politically correct answer. But you have to answer the question. I, I have never dated seriously a white woman. Okay. But that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm opposed to it. Right. Mm. So you've um, never dated a white woman even in high school? I didn't date anybody in high school. Okay. I didn't really, I mean, I didn't really start dating until I was in college. Um, but no, I've never dated a white woman. I'm not opposed to it. But also, if you think about it, I don't really run in, in that many social circles, circles with white women. So it's not like a bad thing, but like, just like if you think about the numbers game, like most of my personal circles are people of color, Mm -hmm. um, specifically black people. So like me bumping into a white girl is like not an everyday occurrence. Okay. I mean, that makes sense. I mean, you're only going to come in contact with and date people who you do come in contact with. Exactly. On, you know, and I'm like a date somebody that I already have mutual friends with type of guy. So I don't know. We'll see. I'm not opposed. So where did you go to school? So I went to Villanova University, okay. which is just outside Philly. It's a wildly racist institution. Really? Uh, yeah. Villanova gets called Vanilla Nova, Villanofun, um, and it's all true. Um, Villanova is a place that, honestly, in the age of Trump, has actually started to make a lot more sense to other people. Because uh, nothing about sort of the, um, the Trump environment is new to me because it's exactly what I saw at Villanova. Huh. Right, so Villanova is a place where people will hold the door for you, um, but they'll use the N-word like a comma, you know, after like a beer, you know, and it's like this very um, sort of nice surface facade community. We love everyone. It's a Catholic school and it's sort of deceptively Catholic, I call it. So like um, they, they don't necessarily market themselves as like a very conservative school, sure. um, but they absolutely are. Um, this is a school where, like, they always find excuses so that the, the Jewish organization can't find a place to have Shabbat dinner, uh, the pro... Because you're Jewish, right? Yeah. Okay. I'm Jewish-ish. <laughs> you know, I say that. Me, uh, me and John Stewart, I'll steal that one from him. Okay. Um, but yeah, no, Villanova is an incredibly problematic place, and it's not just, like, on the interpersonal level. It's not that everyone there is bad, but that it's top-down, right? So you have all the institutional problems from the president to the board of trustees all the way down to professors and other students. And um, the best way I can describe it is it's not that everyone there is bad, but the people who, who, who are bad who are at Villanova feel safe. 
And that means the community really only exists for a very select group of people. It's like a protected environment now, for them where they feel comfortable being like that in that Exactly, exactly. Now, in your opinion, how do you feel like this differentiates from just other predominantly white kind of protected institutions? I feel like this is kind of all across the board. Oh, it's par for the course across the country. But right. I think so what's, what's special is about Villanova is where I'm... Where I'm Villanova doing. seems to have like a really pointed and very specific set where you kind of touch all your shithead bases in terms of all the isms, right? Um, which is why when I, I'm very lucky I get to travel and talk with high school students and college students across the country and a lot of the stories are the same, right? Um, Villanova just seemed to be such a poignantly terrible example on every front. Okay. Whether it was with respect to race or religion or sexuality or all those things. Like, Villanova uninvited a speaker because he was gay, right? Mm. Which should have made and, national and, news. And what, um, like, at what time frame was this? At what, what This year? was 2011. Okay. How, and, like, this was wait, a speaker. Wait, booked so, and then they uninvited him? Or, like, how did... So, found this out was... Later? The communications department invited uh, this... He's, like, a single performance artist, solo performance artist. Uh, he was an activist. He was a part of... Um, oh, I'm blanking on the name. Fuck. Uh, Act Up. Which is a, a gay rights. I was gonna say, I've heard that yeah. yeah, and gay. I mean, ACT UP is most notable in. I think it was in the eighties, the nineties. They interrupted a uh, a service at St. Patrick's Cathedral in New York. Mm -hmm. um, but anyways, point was, he was supposed to be giving like a lecture or a seminar to like eleven kids in the communications department, and a right wing watchdog group caught wind of this spammed the president and the board of trustees and all this other stuff and applied all this pressure and they caved and they uninvited him and they were like well it's not because he's gay it's because his art is too explicit it's like well his art is about dick so Ooh. wow you you can't say that you're uninviting him because of his art if his art is centrally focused on his gay identity right right um and there was like a whole big uproar and there was this panel and all this other stuff and i'm just just like I'm sorry, we just we didn't solve the problem at all. You just guys, you just were, made a big up exactly. And so that's actually when I started to get involved formally in kind of activism on campus because I saw that there was a guy on the panel, uh, a black man who was in student life, and he seemed to be holding back. And so I went up to him afterwards, like a couple weeks later, and I was like, "You looked like you were holding back, and I'm kind of pissed off about it. Like, why weren't you?" you know, speaking up sure. and uh, like five hours later in his office, we're rapping and he's like, okay, you got to meet this professor. You go, and he like kind of connected me with the missing pieces of the people on campus who were actually good people and like really wanted to, to, to make a change. So that's where the root of your activism. Well, I've always cared about this shit. It was so weird to get to Villanova and I'm looking around like, am I the only one who thinks that this shit is crazy? So, and that's kind of where I was going to lead into is like, were, were you the only one that thought it was crazy? No, or, it was just a matter of finding those diamonds in the rough in the community. But either, either way, it was a minority of people. Absolutely. It, it was a sure. very small minority. And the activist community, particularly in my time at Villanova, was synonymous with the black community, mm -hmm. which was largely concentrated with the black Greek community, which is how I got involved because my best friends are Qs. That's how I met the noobs, and then it kind of snowballed from there. But the best way I can explain it is, like, I don't think I realized how weird my home life was until I got to Villanova. And I was like, wow. Like, I people just didn't grow up with a sort of a, a nuclear family unit the way that I did. And, like, the, be the best way I can explain it is, like, we had the conversations that a lot of white families just don't have. Mm. Like, like what? Uh, like, okay, let's say we're watching a movie. Uh, my favorite example is we're watching In the Heat of the Night with Sidney Poitier. Mm. So first off, 
that right there is not something that most white families are going to do. That's just a fact. Uh, and in the heat of the night, Sidney Poitier, 1967, he's a, he plays a, a black cop from Philadelphia who comes down to Mississippi to solve this murder, right? And there's all these racial tensions and all this other stuff. And there's a scene where the, the local racist police chief actually saves Sidney Poitier's character from a lynch mob. And I, at like 9 or 10, was very confused because I'm like, wait a minute. I thought the police chief was a bad guy because he's clearly racist, right? And clearly the lynch mob are the bad guys. Wouldn't they want to gang up on Sidney Poitier? So we paused the movie and my dad like, and my mom talked to me about it. And they were like, well, there's this complicated police thing because he is racist, but he's not about to just let a murder go down. And like, there's this whole thing. And those are simply the kinds of conversations that don't happen enough. Mm. And then you grow uncomfortable with the kinds of conversations and creates even more obstacles. Like if you talk to kids... You talk to kids about anything. They're smarter than we give them credit for. Mm-hmm. Um, so then I get to Villanova and I'm like, like, damn, I guess I, other people just didn't grow up with this kind of intellectual curiosity and like being encouraged to think outside of what we know. Because I grew up in a very white town. I didn't have black friends growing up. Mm-hmm. Okay. It wasn't like I was that, that white kid who grew up around all black folks. What, all right. Were you, were you a white kid growing up that listened to rap music? Were you a white kid that growing up that uh, idolized Eminem? Like, what what type of like what, <laughs> what type of scene were you in? I was were- like, uh, I mean, I was a little weird. I am weird, uh, and now that I have like followers on Instagram, it's like okay to be weird, and that's what's cool. But um, I think I grew up listening to everything from Eminem to Earth, Wind, and Fire to Blue Oyster Cult to Beethoven. Okay, I'm like that was what would be on my iPod for my walk to school every day. All right. It's very eclectic selection. Yeah. So, did your do you think your parents do you think your parents were aware that you were probably once you got got out of your bubble that you were in that you were probably going to like expand your horizons and join Ooh, a black a fraternity? Question. I don't know if they necessarily could have seen some of this coming, but I think that it, none of it surprises them. Okay. Right, because if you create an environment where your kids are not closed off to the world, then you shouldn't be surprised when they go and explore the world. You know. Fair. So how did you end up joining our, were you recruited by the noobs or did you want to join? No, it was one of those moments where like, uh, so I met the noobs at a, a party we threw, I threw with the cues at Villanova um, after we had done some like activism stuff with the freshman orientation process. Mm-hmm. And um, the noobs show up, we're like kicking it or whatever. And then by the end of the night, we're just kind of looking at each other like, are you, are you thinking what I'm thinking? Cause I'm, I think I'm thinking what you're thinking. And then, you know, it just kind of snowballs from there. And next mm. thing you know, I'm popping Pleasure. out. Cap Alpha Side Fraternity Incorporated is a non-pledging, non-hazing organization. So I don't know what Ooh, you're talking right. about. We'll go with that. <laughs> <laughs> I was born a noob. I just had to sign the paperwork. Okay. Fair enough. Um, I've, My parents so- are weird, too. I'll put that out there for real, too. Like... Like my dad was like used to work with Tony Morrison and uh, was okay. a was on what a, capacity? Like, what did your dad do? So he was a like I'm not allowed to say he was an English professor because he was never tenured. But so he was an he was an instructor at Rutgers for like Victorian literature and African American literature. So your pops was into African American studies as well, and yeah, was he an activist as well, or is uh, he an activist? I don't know. Uh, that's a good question. Depends on how you define activist. Uh, I mean, so he met Tony Morrison, I think, when he was in graduate school, and they, like, hit it off, and they used to work together a little bit. Ooh, here's a question. Did your pops ever date a black woman before he met your mother? 
I don't know. I know my mom dated a black guy before she met my dad. Really? In fact, we just re- this is how weird my family is. We recently uh, went to uh, this ex boyfriend of hers is now a professional musician. We went to one of his concerts. Oh, and word? it was hilarious to watch him and my dad. Is he John us. Legend? Who is he? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if my mom was a cougar. I don't know. She's, she's a little older than John. John went to Penn, actually. Okay. Ah, oh, that's dope, man. Um, so another another topic that we actually had uh, on this show a few weeks ago, we were talking to Dave, and um, Dave does not think it's possible, and correct me if I'm wrong, for white people to be woke, right? And I know that people have considered you a woke white dude, right? So I want to hear... I want to hear y'all kind of like. <laughs> this talk is why you put him on the show because I said this to you. Yeah, uh, I, I was like, you know what? Like I'm gonna get my ago. white, my white woke dude yeah. Sam on the show because I think Sam is woke. Dave was like, you can't be woke if you're white. No. So, so, well, so how are we? How are we uh, <laughs> you, so, did, <laughs> you did kind of. How well, are we go ahead, Dave. I'm not gonna pull words. <laughs> what do you mean? I'm saying he's saying I'm agreeing with him. Yeah. Okay. I'm saying so. Also. I think that Nick, I don't like the like conflation of like how now woke because it's been kind of like parodied and kind of ran into the ground and definitely oversaturated is like the definition is kind of off. So when I mean woke, I mean in a sense of understanding your like basic foundational history and who you are and knowledge yourself and things of that nature. Um, and when I say that white people can't be woke is because there is no erasure like in your culture to where you don't know about the things in your past. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's things that, like, as a society, people don't know because they've changed the history books and stuff like that. But I mean, like, literally down to, like, finding out, like, who your people were and, like, you know, there's no difficulty in that. And even still with us, as we're finding, you're still getting, like, a kind of, like, a usurping from things that are clearly black. They're like, oh, well, they might be from Mediterranean and blah, blah, blah. You know, whatever. So, yeah, that's what I'm saying. So, when well, he I uses the that. term woke, I'm like, nah, bro, we kind of stopped using woke like that, bro. And then in the sense of activism or in the sense of allyship and stuff of that nature, um, I think that, like, there's just an awareness. There's, like, an awareness because there's a oppressive side of that to, to where... Blacks don't even see the oppression that's happening to them on a daily basis a lot of times. Like this, this it's become such commonplace that it's just like, oh, that's just the way it is. Or there's an excuse given to it. Well, you know, because we are all poor, because, you know, my daddy locked up or because I was smoking this weed, I do deserve to get treated like this. Um, and so, again, woke now is now referring to people who have kind of been lured to sleep. Like, oh, like, you know, now you're aware of the injustice that happened to your own people. Now you understand how... There's oppression, white oppression that goes against black people and systematically and blah, yana, yana, you know, like that. So, yeah. So both of those oh, well, ways. I completely agree with that. Yeah. I think that, first of all, I've never called myself woke because I also think that like the, the definition of woke changes based on the context. Right. Mm-hmm. And particularly uh, as it's gotten more like commodified and, and more used, I think that um, it's lost some of its power. But that notwithstanding, like I completely agree with that. I don't think that there there is no comparative erasure of um white cultures or or white heritages um the, in in any kind of similar way to where that there that exists with um you know cultures of of color um what i do think is interesting though is is you said something about how to you the definition of woke is is a lot about like figuring out who you are and i think that a lot of white people don't know who they are mm. right because you're fed a 
a a false narrative historically socially culturally even like musically um like elvis stole from black people like that is not as much of a widely known fact at large as it is in our circles right so whether it's little facts like that or, or large ones um I think that there's a lot that white people don't know about themselves, and that's part of the reason why it's constantly I, used as a. As, but it's, it's the opposite, and it's only because there's there's like an opposite action of it's like literally the direct opposite of erasure, whereas there's just more built into who you can be as pride. So like to really kind of understand who you are as a white person and, and how they've been trying to like misdo like a, a redo and rewrite history is like to say like oh like. We're just as great as everybody else, where it's been like a, oh, yeah, we're the greatest. Oh, no, absolutely. Yeah. It's the equal and opposite reaction. Like, to understand yourself as a white person involves a prerequisite of understanding your relationship uh, with oppression of other people. Like, you can't separate whiteness from badness. Like, it is that whiteness, for as long as whiteness has been understood as whiteness the way that we talk about it today, it has been pushing other people down. Right. That are not being that the, don't, oppre- the, exactly, being the oppressor that instead don't of the fit inside whatever definition of whiteness we're using at that time. Which is like a, a good example of that is like because whiteness can be in flux too, right? So like uh, to certain people, right? Jews are white. Sometimes they're not. So right. depending on which white supremacist you're talking to, like maybe Jews are friends. Maybe we should kill them all, right? right? So I think that um, and part of that is of course because whiteness is largely defined by the people and cultures that it puts down. Right, and that's part of the problem, and I think that that's kind of the the equal and opposite erasure, which I don't think we have a term for necessarily that uh, you were talking about. What's crazy is, aside from white people maybe not knowing themselves, because I mean I'm half white as well, right? My father is white, uh, but my father is like you in the sense of my father has never he dated one white woman in his in entire life, and she was a Jewish woman. My father's Catholic. Shout out to the Jews, <laughs> and he said that her parents didn't like him because he was Catholic and irish um so after that he was like i'm i'm done like i tried it out don't like it <laughs> going back to the blacks right so wait you're saying that he tried to date a white woman he did he got yeah racialized he got racialized interracialized yes because he people. interfaithalized Jeez. i guess because he was catholic she was jewish right i mean that's so the culture of like he only has children with uh he only has mixed children all of his children are half black right now on the flip side of white people not knowing themselves, James Baldwin said that racism isn't going to stop until white people start loving themselves and stop hating themselves. So do you think that there's some truth? Like, do you do you first of all, you said that your immediate family is obviously very progressive and, and understanding. But do you have family members? Because I definitely have family members on my father's side that just hate black people hate latinos hate muslims like do you have people in your family that you're looking at them saying like damn like what is causing you to dislike other people that are not white or is pretty much your family like just so my dad's side of the family is pretty dysfunctional and so the family that we do keep in touch with for reasons unrelated to progressivism or whatever like are super dope so that's not really an issue like that side of the family is very small and the other side of my family my mom's side is jewish and that adds into a whole nother layer of complexity when it comes right. to sort of Because Jews are not even seen as white to certain white people, right? Yeah, but you had a huge contingency of Jews who supported say. Trump, and you have a huge contingency of Jewish but people you, I mean, in 2018. And I, and I live, so I live in Flushing, right? I'm Flushing Kew Gardens. So I live in a very Hasidic Jewish neighborhood, and they're 
very like stick to their kind and they're very st- not only do they stick to their kind but they're very standoffish of everybody else well i think the hasidic community and i think the jewish community in new york is slightly different just because new york is very different and there's a whole bunch of factors that i think play into that but the jewish community at large i think is going through a fucking identity crisis right now with uh you know with whom do we align ourselves and i think that that, that there is no respect there is no excuse for jews who support um, people like Trump who support Republican um, sort of social policies that at the end of the day are just going to fuck over the Jews just as much as anybody else. Mm-hmm. It's going to take a little longer. But, I mean, I feel like their interests are kind of elsewhere. Um, American Jews, especially of wealthy Jews who support Trump and Republicans because Republicans support Israel. Israel. So like, but no, no, a- but re- see, the, here's, here's this is this is like the massive myth, right? The myth is that re- the Republican Party and conservatism in America supports uh, Jews and supports the state of Israel. No, I didn't say they support Jews. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm, no, I'm they, not saying you're saying that. I'm saying that is a large right. scale, you know, Bold that man. is a, a bulk belief. And it's completely false. Republicans don't support Jews. They support um, whoever is going to give them access to Jerusalem because the Christian right has an attachment to that specific locality. Um, but I think when it comes to my family, right, like, I've absolutely cut people off. You've cut off members of your family? Yeah. In what I, sense? In, in, in not a sense like I'm going to go out of my way and say like, call them up and be like, hey, we're never going to speak again. Right. But like I found out that a couple of my cousins, like distant cousins, uh, voted for Trump. And I'm just like, wow, like I just, I have no respect for you anymore. You want to know something crazy? We have black family members that voted for Trump. Oh yeah, they got to get cut off too. Yeah. And, and I think what's, I would almost, I mean, I'll just speak to my people like, I just don't understand how you can be less than one generation removed from the Holocaust and vote for somebody like Trump. It just doesn't make any sense. It's completely incompatible. It's a cognitive dissonance that is, that is like psychosis, right? And yeah. um, I have no respect for that. I do think what's interesting, though, is I, I am lucky in a sense because I have surrounded myself with people who share the same similar values of human rights. I haven't had to cut as many people off as, as other friends, okay. right? And that's something that I think... Uh, I took for granted at first and I had to sort of reflect on and say like, hey, like I am I am in the 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 singular sort of abnormality of having a mom, a dad, a sister, all kinds of close family friends and close family who all not only support me and my work and what I do and my beliefs, but share those beliefs. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's just not that common. I feel you Um, on a lighter note. Uh, so obviously your, your social media accounts are pretty high up there in numbers, right? Like, what are you at? Two. I dabble. <laughs> I dabble. It's very two, 200 so and something thousand followers on Instagram. Like so two fifty ish. At what point did that blow up for you? Was it the oh, shimmy thing or? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, tell I mean, that like, story. Cause a lot of people don't know. It. <laughs> so I have large social media followings, uh, in huge part because I'm white. And that's a fact. And that's something I talk about all the time. Um, And I think it's my responsibility to talk about if I care about the things that I say I care about. Sure. Right? Um, But basically what happened was when I crossed, like, I was like everybody else. I did not get treated all that different, right? People knew who I was, especially in Philadelphia. I had been involved in the black community for some time. I was not the white guy who crosses a black Greek letter organization. Everybody's like, oh, my God, who is this? Right? Right. People knew who I was. Like, everybody. I took my mask off and everybody's like, oh, okay, Sam. Mm -hmm. Like, nice to see you again. Glad you're back. Um... And so we would travel, like me and my line brothers, whether it was for Kappa meetings or programs. And I was up in Boston. We were real cool with the noobs up there. I was helping them host an event. 
and we were strolling in one of the intermissions and at that point it wasn't all that uncommon for people to take some videos or whatever and one of these videos she like you know how like you can uh when you post something on instagram you can like auto post to like facebook and twitter and tumblr mm, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. so she auto posted it to tumblr where it proceeded to randomly go viral and because my name was in the caption it was all linked right back to my account so when it went viral on tumblr everyone was able to click right on my instagram and that's kind of how that started and then it just snowballed from there and then it was actually bossip who like went and stalked my Twitter and they were like, oh shit, like you think things and you like have <laughs> thoughts and do stuff. Uh, and that I think is really also what set it off. And and for me, it was again, as much of a responsibility as it was an opportunity. Absolutely. I can't say that I care about this shit and dedicate most of my undergraduate career to doing it and then get a whole bunch of followers and cash out, you know? Yeah, like that's, you, man. You, you deserve a clap for that. Yeah. <laughs> It's kind of fucked up that like you deserve a clap for doing something that's like obviously the right thing to do. It's it's you're right, but in this day and age <laughs> right. society where we're at, where it's just I feel like just the bar. You know what's crazy so at, at this point? I'm more surprised whenever I hear people doing good things as of lately, as opposed up, to it? doing effed up things. Like even I don't know if you guys. Uh, if you guys heard about the Aziz, the Aziz thing, I mean, we don't have to get too in depth in it, but I was just I mean, kind of like, okay, let's go, because uh, some that stuff has happened since then. That stupid ass Atlantic article came out. Oh, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't read the Atlantic. Oh, um, well, damn, that's the. So go ahead. That's okay. I mean, I was not too. Yeah. So the only thing I know so far about the Aziz thing is that he went out on a date, um, and and this is the thing that it it. it, it it's a little touchy because he went out on a date with this girl he met at an after party, right? Long story short, she went back to his house after having drinks and dinner. Uh, they were making out. It was all consensual. They both gave each other oral sex. It was consensual. And then he wanted to have actual sex with her. And she was kind of telling him no. The way she described it, she was telling mm -hmm. him no with verbal and nonverbal cues without saying like, no, like I do not want to do this. And he kind of just kept pushing the envelope, pushing the envelope until he pulled out his penis and he put it against her. Uh, and she was like, Aziz, I don't want to do this right now. He's like, OK, cool. No problem. He went back on the couch with her, but he kept going back and persisting and persisting until she left and she was crying in the cab and texted <laughs> him the next day saying, hey, I think it was really messed up that you didn't un understand my nonverbal cues. And he was like, oh. I really misread the situation. Sorry. And then that was that. After he accepted the Golden Globe Award and he wore the... Uh, the Me Too. The, time's Up. Yeah, Time's, time's up, up, up. The sure, Time's Up pin expressing his... Which is uh, a phenomenal group of women. The Time's Up campaign? Yeah, okay, we raising, could touch on that. Who are raising amazing money for legal defense funds for victims of, of sexual of assault. Sexual assault. And, and they're just super dope. So, so the woman considered what happened sexual assault and it... It's just, it's a little touchy because, like, at what point is consensual consensual and at what point is is it assault? Like, so me, I don't know. So, I'll so, be honest. So, so, he, so me as a black man in America, once if if I feel like I'm, if, if we're vibing and the vibe is not mutual. Then you're going to stop. I'm stopping. I'm okay. stopping. That's it. So Wait. that's where, that's where I will. And, but is it assault? Or is it just like persistence? So I, I can't sit here as a man and say that that is not assault okay. coming from a woman, right? Okay. Because I'm not a woman. I'm not placed in that situation right. where a man is putting his dick against me. Right, 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 right. And I'm trying to like not have sex. Like whatever. We, we linked. We connected. We had 
a personal exchange of intimacy, right? But I mean, it was also the first date. And but I'm gonna ask this question. And this is not to say that she's wrong. Like I can't ever put myself in her shoes. But if you don't have on, if you if you're not planning on having sex with the dude, why even go as far as giving him oral sex and getting him to that point? Or why why even get to that? But why not just go home? You're right. He also didn't know that it was bad until she texted him about it the next day. Right. Right. And also, the, the and I'm not defending. Nuances, right. I know, but it's just like it's it's always a. And the biggest thing with sex was like was that nobody was there. You know, so it's like you're trying to figure out who to trust. I don't think she's lying at all. I'll be honest. Like the way she, everything Detailed lined the up, story and her and, story and, and, lined and, up. And she had the text messages. And, 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 she has a text message, and Aziz even came out and said, "Listen, I'm sorry yeah. if I made you feel any type of way. Right. Wasn't the intention. Right. You know, just I misread the signals. That's where everything went wrong. Right. Like, I, but I'm saying even in the morning when he was when he was texting her, it was like I still it wasn't clear until she was like I felt really uncomfortable. So it's like now it's to the point now. Do how do we uh, judge? The timeline of it like not first of all hey it's not a first to judge right that's nice. <laughs> but as far as i'm talking about if you're saying like if i'm a legal person or whatever it's like how do you judge or or say that it's sexual assault if she consents to it and then the next day says i didn't feel comfortable consenting to that yeah, well i think i would just want to add like a couple notes i think um like consent to one act of sexual activity is not consent, consent to anything to else exactly um i think that it is absolutely sort of an epidemic level problem of men not picking up or deliberately ignoring nonverbal cues. Right. Um, and I'd also say like me, the way that I approach things and maybe I'm hypersensitive to this, but like as soon as I, similar to what you were saying, like as soon as I feel as though there is a hesitation or a level of, of discomfort, um, I'm just going to stop. Right. right. And I don't think that, um, Asking for consent kills the mood. I don't think it has to be done in a way that is like super, super formal. formal like, right. hey, you could just say, You're, "Are you okay? Are you with sure you right? Want to do good? Yeah. Like, are you um, sure you want to?" But like, like yeah. as I was reading the article, as soon as she expressed that discomfort verbally, at that point, I feel like even if you give him the benefit of the doubt that he genuinely did not pick up on the verbal cue, the nonverbal cues, or that he misread them, at that point. Either it's okay, let's put our clothes on and watch a movie, right? Or like that's where he be, went wrong. Or you should be in an Uber in the next ten minutes. That's where he went wrong. Like he went wrong at the point of when she said no once and then twice. He kept like if Being you're gonna persistent. if you're gonna Uber take out persistent. your penis and put it on her and she's like no. And then you put it away, and then you take it back out. Then you're just dumb, bro. That's I'm like I'm turned off. That's dumb. But my question was, what what is the definition of actual assault? Because I really want to see. I want to. I want there to be a clear line of what assault is. I think we're looking for a clear line that's not there. And I think part of the thing is that these are not like you can't take a whole bunch of interpersonal experiences and extrapolate them to create this hard line in the sand about what what is or is not assault. I think that what is important is that. Uh, for the first time, maybe ever, like a, on, on on this scale at least, and it's still not enough. Like women's voices are actually being listened to, and and being taken. Oprah seriously. said, "Time's up," right? And I think that um, I I would be hard pressed to find any woman who do who is is romantically involved with men who has not experienced a level of persistence that made them feel uncomfortable, or right. made them feel pressured, or made them feel like potentially. Um, if they express that discomfort too much, that that might put them in a situation of physical danger. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that she, I, I'm not going to speak to her experience and, and whether or not she felt like she was in physical danger, but I know a lot of girls will say, well, 
you know, guys will, will say, oh, well, if you don't want to do something, just say no. But then girls just say no and they get shot in the face. Right. Mm. Right. And I, I, I think I saw a perfect tweet uh, from this random guy. I don't know who he was, but he said, um, I was talking with, with some of my girlfriends and I was saying how, like, I even enjoy a bad date. Because the worst thing that happens with a bad date is, like, you know, you get some food, you learn about somebody else and maybe you learn a little something about yourself. And all his, his like, homegirls are like, um, yeah, no, can't agree because the worst thing that could happen to me on a bad day is I get raped and killed. Right. Wow. right? And I feel like that just speaks to a totally different level of exposure, of risk. And I think that that's why we're not going to get, a, a like, a sort of easy... You can put it on a postcard definition of what is or is not a saw. I think I, the point is that's why communication is so. I want to definitely. Paramount. I want to definitely say that I respect the heck out of her for coming forward this soon, though. Especially with how like Aziz career, Aziz career is at right now. You know he's 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 made an international clear, celebrity, right? And he's made it clear that he supports this cause. He's it. She it could have went totally left for her. You know, she doesn't know if Still people would can. actually believe her. Uh, I mean, we're we're here discussing it right now, but there are people out there that support Aziz that are definitely going to call her a liar. They're going to call her derogatory name, saying that she put herself in that position. To scale is that that many women are in danger that it can be, even if it's a small percentage of people who are lying, then it's still a lot to our eyes. But we're negating that damn this is literally like a small percentage of the full sample size right. and the reason why this number is high is because that number is even higher even higher 1500 yeah. thousand times higher you know what i'm saying so and i like, also think that the same thing that is being done to discredit women is the same thing that is always dis done to discredit black victims of police violence it's the same thing that's done to discredit any social movement right so you'll see like um You'll, you know, uh, you'll see folks on the right discredit, you know, unarmed black people gunned down by police using one example of like, um, you know, the police actually doing de-escalation. And they'll say, see, everything's fine. And then everything escalated so clearly it has to be the black person's fault. And I think you're, there, there's so many parallels to the way that these social movements can be attacked and the way that they are, you know, people can try and tear them down, even if sometimes it's not entirely intentional, which is an entirely separate conversation. Um, but I think that you, you spoke on something, you, you mentioned being defensive, and I think that being defensive is like the ultimate worst Mm. strategy in any imaginable context and and in the context of my work it, it comes into play because i am white right and insofar as i am white i am part of a social group that has caused a lot of problems and continues to cause a lot of problems in this country and i benefit from those privileges in ways that i cannot control sometimes and that's not something that i should be defensive about you mentioned about james baldwin right mm -hmm. it's not something that i should hate myself about people talk a lot about like white guilt and like the all the alt right trolls jump in my mentions and they're like oh you're a beta male and you just have all you know you just have white guilt and all sort of shit, and that none of that is the case, right? I think that um, in in terms of when I was reading and and sort of coming into my own political consciousness and like coming to understand the world, there are moments where you're like, damn, this shit is fucked up, Sick. and like I look like the people that did this shit, and right. that is fucking crazy. Um, but that shouldn't cycle into some sort of like like uh you know cyclical pity you know def defensive thing where all of a sudden anytime anybody brings up race i'm like well i'm not racist and you'll notice that right like right. james baldwin also talks about how for all the racism there is in america there seem to be no racists 
right? It's like, well, I'm not a racist. I just made a mistake, right. or I didn't mean that, right? You know, and I think you you see that conversation with President Trump right yeah. now. You see, like, I'm well, the least racist, racist person you've ever interviewed in your entire How life. How the fuck are we having a conversation about a man right. who was endorsed by the KKK as right. whether or not he's a racist? He is up and down a racist. That he refused to disavow. He can right. say racist things and then come back and be like, I'm not racist because I just said that I'm not racist. And right. that is something that white <laughs> people works. in this country do all day, every day. And I think that this, if we can apply... If if a a, a non defensive approach uh, can be taken on the part of white people as it relates to race, by heterosexual people as it relates to issues of L- in the LGBT community, mm-hmm. um, by men as it relates to women, I think that is is a monumental step to having the conversations that aren't getting had. I want to touch on something because we touched on it last week because it had just broke, um, but it now has uh, outreached and 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 had uh, several layers of uh issues that it's now dealt with um so with h&m um oh well so last week we talked about because it literally just broke right when uh of course everybody knows by now uh the little black kid was wearing the coolest uh, um monkey in, in the jungle right um so since then the mother has disavowed uh, the outcry mm-hmm. and uh, taking the check and ran with it right um but not only that so down in south africa um there was a store uh, in a mall, an H&M store, that was thrashed, thrashed, right? And uh, so I, I think there was like a differing of opinions on whether I had some friends that said, "Good, they should they should thrash a store. You know they should get, tear you it." You know who's going right? to have to deal with the consequences of that store thrashing? Black people. So listen. So now H and M put out the statement today that they are not only closing that H and M store, but they're also closing like three within the surrounding area, which is going to hurt black people, and that's the crazy part. As, and so when this is happening, this is like all I was thinking and having in my head. Like this is not. You're not hurting corporate by knocking these stores down. All you're doing is you're hurting the people. They're going to have to clean this up. Or because there were people protesting outside H&M. I think that the name of the group was e- a- EEF, was it? Was yeah. the name of the group? Keep, keep it a buck, though. How about this, though? And this is the the like the kind of underlying bullshit is that um, knowing retail and the market, they probably lost enough money and support from that whole situation where they had to close three stores anyway. And they were just like, oh, let's just do it in this area where they clearly hate us. Why would we continue to put our... Right. So well, they, while, well, well so, the, the goal of the group was to shut down the store permanently. Well, then they got what they that, wanted. That so was every, so basically, all parties are happy. No. 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 To the EDF people. To the EDF, but they were black people working in those H&M stores. Yeah. They had no longer have jobs. Yeah. They can no longer and support it, their family. And I also think it wasn't just that, right? You There was a couple viral... There were a couple viral videos of of folks going into H&M stores and yeah, just like harassing losing their the, mind. the workers. It was like, like vandalizing. I saw a lot of that. That is stuff. not the solution to the problem, right? First of all, I would I would point out that um, there is this theory going around that perhaps some of these companies are deliberately doing this fucked up shit because so it that's, guarantees that's them going what, viral. That's what Nick was saying last week. Um, but I also think like hire black people in positions of leadership in positions of management, and in positions where you will listen to them and take them seriously. So true. Because clearly that is not what happened in, H- at a- in H&M meetings. I feel right? like Dave Chappelle has had many skits exemplifying that. Like- exactly. And it's not just hire black people so you can say you hired black people, but hire people from all different types of backgrounds and then listen to them, right? right. It's not enough to put people in positions where you're just going to, you know, like like sort of like everything goes in one ear and out the other i mean you're talking about fashion and most of these companies are based overseas and they're just not getting that together over here like just now like 
last year and a half getting that together over here. So you're talking about overseas companies that don't care and you're talking about cultures that are way less uh sophisticated than ours with than, than ours with the social action and right. actually like giving liberties and justice. You're talking about countries that do do holidays where they wear blackface and soccer players are still doing like blackface for Halloween and not understanding that it is bad until it gets viral on on, on just to play devil's advocate go though, if you go to any PWI predominantly white institution in this country on Halloween Odds are you're gonna find white people in blackface, and right. so I'm not. So don't they? So don't they suffer from the same kind of vacuum, kind of like ideal brain trust or uh, groupthink that the other countries do? Like with with colleges, it can be a lot more incubated about how whites can kind of feel more prideful to do things like this and the and to say that this is okay because they're like like I said they're incubated in my small towns, places like I went to school in Tallahassee, so like. If it wasn't for FAMU, I don't know how many black people would be there. And even still, with as many black people as were there, it was still kind of tough with the cops and stuff like that. So, like, you're talking about places where... That's America, period. Yeah, well, where, so, where exactly. white people... Exactly. So America is a place where white people feel period. incubated and close and safe and all this stuff. And that's, I mean, that's what I was... That's what we talked about about Villanova right in the beginning, right? Like, the folks who don't give a shit about other people feel safe in these environments. Um, and, of course, the irony, which is impeccably frustrating in the conversation is that it is those same people who then have used as uh, their strategies to turn around and say, well, you guys are the ones being intolerant, right? Because mm-hmm. you're intolerant of my intolerance, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't have to respect somebody's opinion if it denies other people's human rights, right? So you're entitled to your opinion so long as it doesn't infringe on other people's human rights. And that is something that is is core to to what this country was is theoretically about in terms of like like it's freedom of speech but you can't yell bomb on an airplane right. you can't yell fire in a movie theater you can't use your freedoms to tear other people down mm-hmm. and so i think that the the h&m thing is a great example of just like just trash on all sides right and obviously we wouldn't have to deal with perfecting activism strategies if there wasn't shit that had to be protested so it's not an equal level of trash, but it's it's a short sightedness that is incredibly unfortunate. That's right. only gonna gonna hurt more people. Yeah. So I like I, I really feel for those people that especially those people that work in those H and M, not just in that one mall, but in the surrounding areas, because now those stores are closed and those people are out of a job. Think about that's I mean that's impulse behavior and the thing about anger and upset it just it it's wildfire, man. Yep. And you, all you need is ten people to to get riled up and if there was nothing for people to be mad about then we wouldn't be here either. which white supremacy will then use an example to show that black people are animals exactly I mean, but that, you know that, that's like but if, my yeah, but, if, but if everybody's not so it's, exactly it's it's and that's the easy kind of like conditional thing but the reason for that being is that they continue to have people who are constantly going to be mad because it's not equal or fair so they just they can easily just like pop it up so like the i mean the idea on the activism side is to make sure that as many people in the community are as educated on tactics and reactions and where to go, what to do, who to talk to if you feel away. Because the first thing is like kind of like not de-escalation, but just kind of like breathe, calm down, chill. And then like compartmentalize and, f- and process what you're actually going through and give yourself a time to be human and to be react reactionary and then go about. Yeah. I mean, the, the brutal irony, well, one of the many brutal ironies is that white supremacy blames people for the anger that stems from the conditions that e- itself created, right? So, like, white supremacy creates the conditions for the anger that white supremacy blames black people for having or blames uh, LGBT people for having, right? And that is that is wild fucked up, right? And it's, it's, uh, it's deeply problematic. But I do think, um, on a slightly more hopeful note, 
um, you're seeing a, a, a coming together of young people and activists in a way that I don't think you've seen previously. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it's worth the trouble. Right? Like, I don't think having Trump is worth uh, this the 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 sort of silver linings here, but I think that's something that we can take from that, right? I think that this is something that we can we can twist as best as as we can, because we have no other option but to do so. I have a challenge for you. Okay, I want you to say a one, deep challenge, or is it switching a, it's, gears? It's probably going to be a challenge. Say one positive thing about Trump's presidency and Trump. You know who you don't fuck with anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. But nerdy me will have to also jump in and say that, like, Trump is not an anomaly in the Republican Party. Trump is the perfect uh, representation of what the Republican Party Mm -hmm. is and has been for... 40 plus years it's right just he a is a bold face version of right he is all he of doesn't it put know together. how to hide between the shadows exactly he is he is he is republican up and down he has been branded as like well he's the outsider he is as republican as it gets right the the only thing he seems to lack that republicans in positions of political leadership have uh is spinelessness right the only thing that he seems to be able to do is be boldly who he really is um, and that is not something that he deserves credit for, but I think it 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 puts into perspective just how much of a coward somebody like Paul Ryan is, just how much of a coward all the folks are who sit by and let all this shit happen and then want to take the high ground. And like a perfect example is people love to 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 be all glowing with praise about John McCain, um, like when he you know did the the, the thumbs down for the to prevent. You know the the, the, the destruction vote, of right? of um, Obamacare. Obamacare. Yeah. He brought us to that healthcare oblivion. How right. do you bring us to the? How do you get me? Walk me? Push me over to the cliff, and then want to take credit for not kicking me off? That's ridiculous. Mar- I mean, uh, uh, John McCain voted against Martin Luther King Day being a, a national holiday. Yeah, I didn't know that. And that yeah. is someone that we champion as one of, as a moderate Republican. There is no such thing as a moderate Republican. And it is it is it is sad because you'd like to think that there are two legitimate political perspectives in this country and that there can be a conversation and dialogue and compromise. But there can only be conversation and dialogue and compromise if there is a fundamental understanding of human rights. And civil rights are human rights, LGBT rights are human rights, women's rights are human rights, and that is not a shared belief in the Republican Party at all. And it has never been a shared belief in the Republican Party. I mean that's that I, that I were we talking about this last week or maybe I just had too many conversations. My bad, I'll week. get off my pedestal. No, <laughs> I mean because I mean that just kind of goes right into my point of like, like the the system of like white men. That's why it's like that because white men are at the top and white women are never equal with them. But and they that, vote. They vote with them because they know <laughs> it's, it's survivalism. It's you know it's like white women are white before they're women. Exactly. Exactly. It's it's submissive. Like I said, it's just it it props up like like white women uh who are understanding and aware, they are upset with the rest of white women because they're continuing to just be like preservationists for themselves. And it's right. just like Which is why from a political strategy perspective, you don't have to be a fucking genius to know that the future of the Democratic Party has always been with black women mm. and that if the, the day that the Democratic Party, Party finally internalizes and, and actualizes support uh, for black women is the day that they will start to not only um, do better policy and, and, and have better results, but they'll fucking win. win. <laughs> right? Like, damn. Yeah. It's obvious. And yet somehow uh, we're still kind of, you know, pushing for that.
But one day at a time. Um, Tim, we appreciate you coming by the, the happy hour and uh, uh, definitely sharing your, your, uh, your you stories and your, and your views and your opinions, bro. Um, mm-hmm. uh, closing out the tab for the evening. Um, I, I guess so. I'd say embrace your nose, right? Embrace your failures. Um, Nick talked about it a little bit earlier, um, and um, I, I started going through some of my failures, right? Um, for those who don't know, I, I used to work with Verizon for, uh, Files. This is when Files was not in the city. Ugh, I, I want Files. Files was only Spectrum a web. Spectrum is trash. It, it is. Spectrum yeah. is so trash. Oh, you live in Yeah, Spectrum is trash. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yo, can we... Uh, what, what, what I have so many ideas. Files? Spectrum is trash. We can, we can, we can reprogram. We, have a general we can recode on the, the on-demand system, the menu, everything. Man, listen. So my I, landlord told me to I, fuck off. I, I, I used to... Um, one part of my job when I worked with Files when it was only in Westchester and Rockin County is I used to uh, literally like knock on doors and go door to door for Verizon and try to convert what was Spectrum was then Optimum I believe yeah um, Time Warner Time Warner yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and convert them over and you'd be surprised how many like no's I took uh, people that did not want Files well it was brand new at the time new technology it was something different from the only thing that they had yeah so innovation is going to be hard to sell on an average basis right even in a in the mo- in a more but you were in Queens right going no, oh this is in Westchester we need to get right. files to, to cut cut the podcast a check facts we'll talk about that um on demand holler at us um but no so I took a lot of no's and there were days where I would be outside on days like this where it was 20 degrees outside 15 degrees outside and I would take no after no after no and I was 100 100% commission so if I didn't make no sales I wasn't getting no money right um which is a fucked up way of paying people but it, it is a fucked up way of paying people but it will definitely teach somebody about work ethic if you don't work that day you're not gonna get paid that day you know what I mean so you learn to embrace your nose because you, you know the closest the, the more nose that you get to the more closer you are to those yeses right so mm-hmm. uh, I have to set a goal of seeing <laughs> sales talk like a muffin absolutely God. damn 40, 40 to 50 no's I'd plan out just cause I know those two yeses would get me $200 a day right mm-hmm. so um, embrace your failures embrace your nose um, because Literally, the closer you are uh, with those no's are the closer you are to those yeses. Um, we'd like to thank y'all for listening with us tonight. Uh, my name is Ken. I'm Nick. And I'm Dave. Oh, wait. Before we close out, make sure you, you did you tag your, your social media? Oh, yeah. Uh, y'all can catch me uh, at Sam Whiteout on everything. The Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, YouTube, the whole nine. You can text me. 917-983-4308 let me know what y'all think uh and yeah thank y'all for having me i That's appreciate the, it that might have been the first number drop that we've gotten on the you must have beer two cell phones or something? <laughs> Yo, can i get the air horn <laughs> <laughs> you know a little something something but uh yeah man i appreciate y'all having me i think this is dope i think these are the kind of conversations that people need to have more of i think the what you closed out with is perfect um i remember when i volunteered for the obama campaign before i could vote in 2008 and um my job was to call people and just find out if they were registered to vote. And I don't think I spoke to more than like five people for longer than three and a half seconds. Um, But it was amazing to feel like I actually did something. And I think that was, that was sort of a, you know, for me, junior in high school, Sam, that meant a lot. And I think that those kinds of notes, you don't want to always glorify failure in a way of like falling on your face is something you have to do to succeed. Um, but that figuring out ways to learn how to get back up with minimal damage, I think is something that we should champion. So, um, appreciate y'all for having me. Yeah. I'm Sam White out, but you'll be great.
Definitely. Go Eagles. Uh, (laughs) About that. Um, By the way, random. This is fucked up. Uh, I invited Donovan McNabb to my (laughs) bar. Look at Nick's face. Look at look at his face. I have a uh, I have a bone to pick with Donovan McNabb. I'll let you get it off. I will let you get it off. I will will also say, you know, I'm saying we got we got to acknowledge that he. Uh, it was accused of sexual assault and he was fired from the NFL. Network. Good, <laughs> and then that, and it's a good thing that he's no longer in a position. Good, Donovan McNabb is a is a is a is a sexual assault. But thirteen year old Sam, thirteen year old Sam was I was a diehard Eagles fan oh, in New York Giants country. I was an Eagles fan just because of Donovan McNabb until I went to Las Vegas with my ex girlfriend and a few friends. And who walks into the club? We're, we're in VIP. All of a sudden. Donovan McNabb Humble walks flex into the right club. There. You heard that? <laughs> We're about walks that. into the club. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> was in this section. So I'm 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 a little I'm a little tipsy. And at this point, I've already interviewed Drunk. like some okay. like big Dumb. name athletes. I've interviewed big people and I don't get starstruck. I really don't care about how famous you are. Donovan McNabb walks in the room. I've been rooting for McNabb since I was what, t- 10, 11 years old. I grab this dude's shoulder. I'm like, yo, Donovan, I've been a fan since I was a little kid, since like fifth grade, man. Like, I love you. Thank you for everything you've done for the Eagles. Biggest fan, blah, 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 blah. I'm in a section full of uh, Giants fans, but I'm also with my my ex-girlfriend, my girlfriend at the time, and I see him like looking at her, but I'm just ignoring it because I'm like, yo, this Did is Donovan. Donovan make- oh, wow. This is even wild fucked up because of the sexual assault. Yeah, it keeps, like, so it gets better. So uh, he's like, yeah, thanks, man. Appreciate it. He goes uh, to the section behind us and I'm telling uh, my ex, I'm like, yo, I want you to take a pic. You have to take a picture of us. Like, this is my big, I'm, I'm the biggest fan. She's like, I know how much of a fan you are, but she keeps looking at me like, uh, you're a fan, but yeah, she knew. So she. He's looking at her. She's basically looking in, in uh, the direction. I, I, I have my back toward, towards him. She's looking at him in his direction. And I'm like, all right, take my phone, take a picture. I go over to him. I'm like, yo, Donovan, can I please get a picture? Uh, he's like, hmm, unless you're bringing bitches into my section, I'm not taking pictures with no niggas. And I was like, mm. it was the club. It was the club. Should have taken him down then. So I was like, uh uh, okay, I'll be right back. I'll be right back. <gasps> so I go and tell her, I'm like, yo, like, he's not, like, he doesn't want to take a picture. He said, I need to bring, like, girls in, into the section. And, and I looked mad disappointed. She's like, Nick, the whole time your back was towards him, he was making all types of sexual gestures to me, telling me to come over there, right. like, ditch this I would dude. say on record, fuck you, Donovan McNabb. I take, <laughs> I take back my invitation to my bar mitzvah, you cowardly fuck. You take advantage of women. Yep. Seen it firsthand. That's why your ass got fired. I have no sorry or remorse for you. I knew karma would catch up with you one day, dog. And that's why you didn't win that Super Bowl. But Nick Foles will. <laughs> Shout out to the Eagles. All right. Also, Drew Brees uh, was one of the ones that like uh, said things. Spoke against... out against Colin Kaepernick. Yeah. So, Shout out know. to to brother Colin Kaepernick, a man of Cap Alpha Cyber uh, Incorporated, all fighting right. a good fight. All right. So we... All right, folks. Thank you for joining in. Cheers.